Welcome to Ryan Rants and Raves, a podcast series by the Quebec government office in New York. Bienvenue à Ryan Rants and Raves, une série de podcasts par le gouvernement du Québec à New York. Hello everyone, welcome to Ryan's Rants and Raves. I'm really happy and elated to be with someone who has a deep wealth of knowledge in the retail and fashion industry. Um, I'm with Jason McNary and he is um, the head of All Americas for Uno de 50. Jason, uh, thanks again for taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely, Ryan. Thank you for um, inviting me, and I'm excited to be here for this conversation. Yeah, and just for us to get started, because you know, can you just give a brief introduction about yourself um, and how you came about into this uh, beautiful industry? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, Ryan. Well, interestingly enough, I'm from uh, a town outside of Memphis, Tennessee, and I, I started my career early on with a company called Abercrombie. And you know, I will tell you that I think I knew day one um, that this is the industry that I would be in today. And so um, it wasn't an accidental career. It was, you know, a purpose-driven uh, career, uh, something that I had a lot of ambition for. And that came from having an amazing leader when, um, you know, I was working with Abercrombie and someone that was super passionate about people, about product, about making a difference in this industry that we're in. And from there, career progressed to companies like BCBG where yeah. I was able to help scale the wholesale and the retail business um, there, both um, at a domestic level as well as international. And companies uh, like Calypso St. Bart and um, Agnes B, which is a Parisian-based contemporary yeah. fashion brand, and which led me to where I am today with Uno Day 50, um, where I'm the CEO um, for the America's market, covering full P&L responsibility for um, North and South America. It's really great to see that when you first started, you had a mentor at Abercrombie in the industry that really allowed you to really push upon your interest and, and your passion. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I, I saw as um, this uh, college student, um, you know, um, someone who traveled was in New York City frequently. And, you know, when you think about a kid from, you know, Tennessee, let alone Memphis, Tennessee, you know, and um, thinking about, you know, being able to travel, um, you know, to all of these places around the U.S., um, let alone at some point in their lives having the opportunity to actually live in New York City that, you know, that's all a dream. So, uh, you know, it was very exciting for me um, and motivating for me um, to have a mentor that, you know, was able to, you know, uh, coach me, guide me, advise me um, to where I am today. And that's how you said it was like a dream to come to New York City. It is a big difference from Memphis. To New York City, <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, a small town to the largest cities. <laughs> night and day. Although, although the older I get, you know, um, cities like Memphis have a significant amount of charm that I, I find that New York City isn't able to offer. Yes, you know? so. it, it, it's just a peacefulness to maybe, sometimes even hear the birds in the morning. Great to chat about, you know, how calming the countryside is and how the birds are great but i would also like to chat about who is uno de 50 so my listeners can learn more about what that brand is yeah absolutely um so uno de 50 is a global brand that was uh, born in madrid in 1996 um you know the brand came to existence in response to the need of finding a jewelry style that would break away from everything else that existed so it was a revolution of sorts uh, where traditional jewelry techniques and processes were used 
for a new way of uh, doing things. So the first Uno de 50 collections, uh, Ryan, were made up of only 50 units, hence um, our name, um, Uno de 50, oh, uh, means okay. one of 50. So we produced only 50 units of each design, which we gave a strong commitment and still do to quality, exclusivity, but we were forced to evolve uh, because of the brand's success today. So currently we continue to make all of our pieces using traditional methods um, as if they were one of a kind, but also presenting um, 50 unit limited edition collections each uh, season. We are no longer able to um, produce only 50 of each unit, but we do now produce um, limited collection, limited edition collections that are um, manufactured in only 50 of each uh, unit. So overall, from a trade perspective, we have over 150 stores worldwide and we're represented in all the main uh, cities um, of Europe, America, and also Asia. I think it's uh, very cool the fact that you guys start in the philosophy of only creating 50 units and you've continued to do that of the styles because that creates a scarcity and an increase of specialness of your products. But what I also want to chat about is, you know, recently you guys uh, went through bankruptcy and you'll be at exit shortly. Um, can you give a brief overview about how that has occurred and some positive that that has created? You know, I would, I would tell you that in, a, in simple terms, what, what this did is, you know, it added a layer of legal to our business <laughs> <laughs> overall, um, because, you know, really where my time has been spent um, over the past year is, uh, along with my CFO, is partnering with our legal team as well as court systems to ensure that we successfully emerge, um, which we are planning um, to emerge um, within the next 30 days out of bankruptcy. And, you know, to give you some backstory there, we filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy because we had a group of stores from a previous expansion um, prior to my arrival where um, we had opened and these stores were not as successful, um, you know, and they contributed, you know, negative EBITDA and, uh, you know, were quite draining uh, to um, the American subsidiaries P&L. And after um, a tremendous amount of focus and strategy, we decided that the best al alternative for us were to take the organization through a chapter 11, where it would allow us to reject certain unexpired uh, commercial real estate property leases that were no longer beneficial to the organization overall. So the bankruptcies allowed us to reject these leases, giving us the breath to step back, evaluate our real estate strategy and our overall investments. And now we are um, pushing forward with, you know, 10 new openings this year that we feel very good about. And the excitement within the organization about our expansion uh, plan uh, today is uh, very exciting. But I will say that, you know, we've had um, great support from um, our, our legal partners um, in guiding us through and navigating through this um, successfully. And just out of curiosity, where are some, some areas of where you will be opening the stores? You know, we're excited about this. So we are opening um, three new stores this year um, on the island of Puerto Rico which is um, oh, cool. a, a really exciting market for um, the brand overall. And um, the consumer is very um, happy about this. Uh, we're, uh, we're opening um, in Dallas, Texas, North Park Mall, which is an A mall, um, premium uh, location. Uh, we'll be outside of the Nordstrom um, store, which is very exciting as well. In addition to that, we'll be opening um, Aventura Mall. Sawgrass Mall just opened um, in June. 
And we are opening um, as well Time Warner Center and Columbus Circle. And uh, we'll close the year with a flagship store opening um, in Soho on Broadway um, in New York City. I can imagine how busy it's been with all these store openings at the same time. That's a legwork to do. It, it definitely is a lot. I mean, I think that, you know, when you think about the process from scouting the location to um, proving the location to working with your architect team to develop the concept uh, to finish, you know, involving your construction team and then, you know, the retail team taking over, you're talking about a nine to 12 month time frame at best, you know, so it's it's a very um, exciting time for us. So the workload um, of opening a store is really deflated from the excitement of the openings and the expansion. What are some important factors when you're scouting for a new store to be opening? We look at a lot of data when we're considering <laughs> stores. You know, I think that we can slice the data you know, left, right, up, down, and um, you know, it's all important uh, data. But, you know, when I think about, for me as a leader, what's important um, in opening stores, I would tell you the demographics are, are really important that, you know, the demographics are reflective of who your core customer is. That is really probably the first and foremost. I also think about the opportunity in terms of the market. So what is the market going to look like over the next three to five years um, from a growth perspective? You know, are there uh, companies that are moving into the market? Is there um, an influx of consumers that are moving into the market and where are they coming from? All of that data is extremely important. And then I would say final two would be a scrutinization of the PL and the deal. Uh, you know, ensuring that we have the right contingencies in place, forbidding, you know, uh, a, a pandemic coming through or, uh, you know, um, a, another wave of COVID, you know, I think scrutinizing the PL and the DIL uh, to make sure that it makes sense for both the landlord and um, us is uh, highly um, critical. And then finally, I would say, you know, using Puerto Rico as an example, isn't an expansion market, you know, isn't a market where you see, you know, a cluster of stores or is it a market where, um, you know, where you might only see, you know, a one store opportunity, you know, um, what does that look like and how does it fit into your five-year plan? Jason, just to change gears, just a tad, um, could you perhaps mention some other positives that COVID has created for you? Ryan, I would tell you that the positive changes um, that COVID um, has created for us overall, you know, I would tell you that culture and people would be at the top of, you know, my bucket list here and thinking about what positive changes came out of this. When you think about um, the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. and diversity and inclusion within um, the workplace, I, I think that we had a, a very positive shift in terms of um, who we are as an organization, uh, which we didn't, we were fortunate enough that we didn't change. We were authentic. We were true to who we've always been um, because, um, you know, I think that, you um, People and culture has always been at the top of what we do. We don't have elaborate budgets that we're um, spending towards this. However, you know, we we do believe that people are at the center of what we do. Our teams are at the center of everything that we do, and keeping them there and keeping them important has um, always been, you know, just a part of our DNA. But what COVID has done is that it really has brought us closer as a team and as a family. And you know, when you think about last April. I remember it vividly, working from home, everything being closed with the exception of essential businesses. And really all that some people had amongst our teams are us. 
Um, when you think about it, people being locked down in their homes and hunkered down in their apartments in New York City, family might be miles away from where they were living. We had each other at the end of the day. And I think that our bond as a team and as a culture became stronger and was positively impacted um, through all of this um, with COVID. So I would say first and foremost, people and culture. You know, the other piece of it, you know, from a business perspective is we were allowed um, and able to accelerate our digital business as an opportunity that we saw and that most retailers um, saw when COVID happened. For us, uh, we are um, focusing um, on our five-year plan always. And, you know, we accelerated the pace of that five-year plan. And it was more about how do we get to the fifth year over the next year (laughs) from a digital perspective? because. Everything in between needs to happen now. And um, unfortunately, there's not year two, there's not year three, and there's not year four. We need to be at year five today. So how do we accelerate that, you know, from a digital perspective by replanforming our website, um, you know, looking at a new CRM um, project that we are using to revise our current CRM, then the focus of a new digital marketing strategy. All of this was accelerated um, through uh, COVID-19 which was the plus for us in growing um, our overall digital business. And from a retail perspective, similar to digital, looking at artificial intelligence and um, thinking about the five-year plan and how do we accelerate goals and our strategies so that we're talking more about a digital retail store format today versus um, in five years. And I really like how you guys became very closer as a team throughout this this whole entire process. It's very beautiful. You know, and when it relates to inclusion and equity, you know, from a people and culture perspective, it's about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable conversations, you know, um, educating and teaching our teams that it's okay to be uncomfortable, but it's still okay to ask those questions um, that are, you know, maybe uncomfortable for you, giving people the confidence the history behind, but also the strategy of where we're going as an organization. So, you know, again, I think the the whole point of keeping people and culture um, at the height of what we do is is so important. And, you know, again, we're we're not where we would like to be, but I, 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 I can guarantee you that we're better than we were yesterday. I will say it's very reassuring to see that you notice that, you know, they were taking action to solve problems before you joined. And and that's great. It's, it's more than I'd say someone just putting a, a black square, you know, to, to follow something and not really doing much more than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I think that, you know, when we talk about um, that, you, you know, we as an organization don't see the black box as a commercial way of advertising that of what we do authentically. And, and I'm not pushing or pointing any fingers. It, it's just what's right for Uno Day 50. And, you know, when um, all of this uh, came about, we made the decision, um, you know, not to go out on our Instagram with a black box because we are an authentic every day about this topic. My executive team is as, I, as diverse as it can possibly be, and it's a natural way of hiring. Um, so this has just always been a part of our DNA, um, you know, overall. And, um, you know, our founder is stands behind it. And I think having the support of a, a founder and a board that is um, behind diversity and inclusion um, really helps make it authentic. This does lead me to my next question, because you are on the board of Spring Studios, you know, and assisting them and, 
becoming more diverse and inclusive. So what are some approaches or strategies for an organization to be more equitable and to be more inclusive? Well, I think first and foremost, um, you know, having um, the conversation and uh, really, you know, uh, having an open door um, to have um, a place for the, these conversations is important. And I think, you know, admitting if you're not where you want to be or where you need to be, I, I think uh, the first step is, you know, kind of acknowledging that and, and then creating a plan and a path forward. Um, I think is, is, is tremendously important. When I think about what companies can um, do to really support better, is I, I think you you know you've got to look at the consumer, and you have to kind of think about the world and and think about how the world mirrors what your organization looks like. And, and I and I think that that's a tough uh, challenge, um, but I think that when people strive to focus on it and make uh, diversity and inclusion a part of you know their everyday work life and you know what they do and who they are I think it comes quite natural um, to the values of the organization uh, you know I think that's it's, it's key to keep the values of the organization at heart um, when you're thinking about diversity and inclusion and not steering away from them but going towards those values and trying to understand how diversity and inclusion will impact to make your organization better. You know, I really like the analogy between the mirror of the what's the where it is and how the organization is. I think if you don't put that mirror up, that's how you quickly find yourself into a, a groupthink situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing that we did when we were in an office environment, a bit hard to do it virtually, but you know, we we definitely keep this true to what we do. In my executive meetings, um, we always had two open chairs. One chair would be our consumer, and the other um, open chair is our employee. And so when we think about tough decisions that we're making in these meetings, we're keeping the consumer and also the um, employee at the heart of what every decision that we make and how it will impact them, um, and what, and also thinking about what they look like and what decisions will mean to every consumer um, group that we have. I, I really like that. That's great. Yeah, a bit hard to do it virtually, but you know, I think <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. cares, but I think, but the heart of it is always there in all of our meetings. Close. What I like to ask everyone, Jason, is. Do you have any advice to the community, the fashion community in general? Because, you know, it's not it's not an easy industry, as you understand. But I would tell you that um, this is really a tr truly a time of reflection of the past, present, and also uh, um, advancing our future within this industry. Uh, it's really a moment for brands to reset and uh, rethink what their strategy um, for growth is, how they want to show up for the consumer and for the world. This has given us an opportunity for brands to think about their purpose and how that purpose meets your customer's journey along the way. Perfect, perfect, great words of advice. And Jason, thank you again for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. Merci d'avoir écouté Ryan's Rants and Raves. Suivez-nous sur Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. Thank you for listening to Ryan's Rants and Raves. Follow us on Instagram at Ryan's Rants and Raves. À très bientôt.